listen to last week's sermon, as I do most uh, every week, to, uh, to just, you know, I want to, uh, I don't want to say critique myself, but I want to, I listen for the Lord's voice. I listen to say, okay, was there a particular area of the message that, number one, I need to improve on or correct myself on? Or number two, is there a particular area of that message where it just seemed like there was a, a heavy anointing on that, that maybe God wanted me to take it a little bit deeper? And I found something in last week's message that I just said, man, you know what? God's spirit was on that, and there's a need for me to take that deeper. And as the moment I did so, in my thoughts, my mind went back in time to over 20 years ago to a sermon that I preached one time. And it's been hidden in the vault, hidden in the pastoral sermon file of Pastor Brown for over 20 years since I preached that message at Shirley. The message of that, the title of that message was entitled, Hey Devil, This Is My Pea Patch. That sounds exciting, doesn't it? Hey Devil, This Is My Pea Patch. And so with this, though, as I, as I, as I, I found that message in my, in, my, in my files, was able to glean from it and then take it and, and extract what I felt like I needed and then kind of angle it in a little bit different direction. And I retitled it, and today it's titled, More Than Barley and Lentils. More Than Barley and Lentils. And I want to ask you to stand up with me. We're going to pray, and then we're going to read the text here in just a moment of time. But we're going to just simply pray. We're going to ask the Lord to bless the preaching of the Word of God. Come on, somebody. We're going we're gonna to shift in our minds, and we're going to say God's got something very special in store for today. You believe that? I believe that. So I'm asking the Lord. It's more than barley and lentils. Come on, it is. It's more. There's more at stake than barley and lentils. And so we're going to ask the Lord to add his blessing. Would you pray with me today and ask the Lord to, to add his blessing? Father, I am humbled to be here, grateful for the men and women that are part of this assembly, thankful, Father God, for their listening ear. They've come here today, God. Some are visitors, some are members, and many are adherents. They've come today, God, to, to be challenged and ministered to the Word of God. I pray, Lord, today that their heart would be receptive to the things that are said. I know that you have quickened this Word in my heart. It's alive, it's living and active inside of me. And with, Father, the same measure that I receive it, I pray that I can give it today. And I pray that the hearts of the people will receive it readily, Lord, because your word, Father, does not return to you void, but it accomplishes what you sent it forth into the earth to do. And so we trust in this today. In Jesus' name and all God's children said, amen and amen. You can be seated today. Now, if you're new to our assembly, we normally read a text of Scripture prior while you're standing and then have you be seated. However, for today... I've chosen not to do so because I want to take you on a brief journey here and um, where, where I'm going to follow a context of Scripture. And I'm going to go, first of all, to 1 Chronicles 11. And I'm going to set the context. First, did I, is that my out of order on that of what I sent to you, Angie? I, all right, but we'll find it there. We'll, we'll get there together. But I, I, want, I want to start there for just a moment, if I can, and uh, the, this, this context here, as we go into the Word of God, is David. And it's, it's about David, and it's, it's his exploits. And, um, and, and it's in the context of uh, when, when the armies of Israel were gathering to him, when the division between Saul and David had taken place, and God had, had anointed David as uh, king, and uh, yet at the same time, he uh, was not coronated as king. And there's a lot of movement, and David is kind of 
reflecting back. And so I want you to hold for just a moment. I'm going to look at these texts of Scripture because I may want to start uh, back at, sec- at, at, at 2 Samuel. Because these are actually the same passages in essence, but, but simply they are, um, they, they are kind of uh, told from one pen or the other. And David is telling one story, another is telling another story. But you have to kind of look at both of them from there. So I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and, and go ahead and <laughs> I'm going to send you back to 2 Samuel. Let's go there. Let's, let's start there. I was probably wrong in saying that. So we'll start there. In 2 Samuel, I'll go there. 2 Samuel chapter number 9. And we're going to read this and ask, or excuse me, chapter 23, verse number 9. Now, it says, and after him was Eleazar, the son of, this is a tough moment for me. Because, number one, I don't want to dishonor a man who is one of David's mighty men, one of the three mighty men. But I, I, I cringe when I think about Eliezer trying to tell his classmates during school when he was a young boy about his dad. So what's your dad's name? That's a tough one. Is this Dodo? Or is this Doodoo? That's a fair question on a Sunday morning, isn't it? We're going to focus on Eleazar. He's the, con- he's the one. One of the three mighty men with David. When they defied the Philistines that were there gathered together to battle. And the men of Israel were gone away. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary. And his hand clave unto the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day. And the people returned after him only to spoil. That's a good word, isn't it? Now let's go on down. We're going to read two verses as well. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herite. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and he defended it. And he slew the Philistines. And the Lord wrought a great victory. That's a powerful text of Scripture. But we're going to add a little bit of clarity to it by going to 1 Chronicles chapter number 11. I'm going to then try to fill in the gaps on this to help you for just a moment. We're going to look very closely to these two texts of Scriptures here. 1 Chronicles chapter number 11. Once again, the context here is David and Eleazar. This is not one where Shammah is mentioned He's mentioned later in the text as Shamoth, uh, but or Shamoth, but he is not actually mentioned. His exploits are not mentioned. But we're going to focus for a moment here with Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, who was one of the three mighties. That's verse number twelve. He was with David at Pas Damamin, and I'll try. If I, I'm, I'm, I've listened to that uh, multiple times on the um, the Hebrew lexicon. But that still doesn't mean that I get it accurate when I arrive here. But uh, I want, there's, there's, there's a lot of things in this that you may, if you read it too quickly, you're going to overlook. There's a revelation in this that I believe God's going to bring to us. Where the Philistines were gathered together to battle. Where was a parcel of ground full of barley and the people fled from before the Philistines. And they set themselves in the midst of that parcel and delivered it and slew the Philistines. And the Lord saved them 
by a great deliverance. So I want to take, first of all, just this brief account with this of David and Eleazar. So now remember, this seems to be during the time that the armies of Israel are gathering to David uh, as it's been determined that Saul has been rejected by, as, as king by the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean that's for sure accurate, but it could be after David has been coronated. But it looks like on the surface that this is referencing this particular time. So these two accounts here give us a little bit of information. One is about two men that defended a particular parcel of land. One is about one man. I want to kind of highlight both for just a moment if I can. First Chronicles here, chapter 11, where we concluded reading there, tells us of the location. It says that David was at Pasdamamim. Now with this, if you, uh, if you know the, your, your history just a little bit or your geography, it's very important. If you want to see the fullness of the Word of God, you have to look at a lot of areas. You don't just look at the doctrine, but you look at the geography because there, a lot of times there's truth that's contained in the geography. And so you have to look at the picture here for a moment of time. So Pasdamamim here is actually a place of Scripture that is along a valley in Israel. It's a very famous valley. It's a valley where David would later defeat or either previously had defeated Goliath in the Valley of Elah. And so we've, uh, Angie's going to help me here because I want you to see the geography of it for a moment because they know the exact location here. He was at Damamim here. So we're going to put the, 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 va- the picture on the map of the map real quickly on the screen. So if you can, you can see. I'll walk over here that you might see right here. And so this is the land of Israel. That's the Mediterranean Sea that's to the west. Uh, you can see the rugged line, the mountainous line that's coming down that'll go through Bethlehem and Jerusalem is actually just east and northeast there just a little bit. But you see right there, it says where that little uh, upside down teardrop, uh, whatever that is right there, Angie's pointing at it. That says the Valley of Ella, the Valley of Ella. And it's one of the most fertile places in all the land of Israel. And actually, we're going to show you another picture of a modern picture of it today. Even to this day, it is still a very, very fertile valley. And you can kind of see it. Uh, this is kind of noticing or, or, or recognizing some of the camp. And I think this, this one be, would be taken from the north side because... Suko would be on the south side, I believe. So this was actually north looking south, if I'm understanding it correctly. And so, but, but I, I could be wrong on that. So, but you could see the valley. It's a very, very important valley. And, and I, want, I just wanted you to see it because it's mentioning a couple of other towns that we're going to touch on in a minute. But you, you see Suko, and I'm also talking about Ephes Demim here in just a moment. Uh, uh, that, that's, there's clarity. There's an anointing on that. I know that you say, Pastor, how's an anointing on that? There's an anointing because God told Israel, the people of Israel, he said, my eyes are always on that land. And so by his eyes that are always upon that land, he's chosen to reveal some of his character here. Some of his divine purposes are tied with, the, with, this, with this land. So here at Pasdamamim, here is this particular area. And, and again... It's this more fertile place. The Philistines desired, it seems, that they desired not only this particular parcel of land that was full of barley, but it, because there is a road that is traveling east and west here along this valley, the Philistines not only wanted the valley for their agricultural uh, you know, productivity, but they also wanted to control the commerce, the line that, would, uh, that people would travel oftentimes when they had gone north-south along that mountainous ridge known as the Judean wilderness area. When they would go uh, west towards the coast, often they would take that travel route. And so in, if you know in ancient days, if who, which, 
whichever army could control a, a, a travel route, then oftentimes they could control the entire region. So it was a very strategic place here. It was very, very fertile. And so, so it was a time, it seems to be, that it must have been a time when the harvest was really full. It was right on the edge of harvest because the Bible plainly says that the ground was full of barley, full of barley. And so barley was a very important crop to Israel. It was a staple in their diet, just as wheat was, and it was also fodder for the animals. But if you know anything about the ceremony and worship of God, barley was also a part of the first fruits, the feast of first fruits as well. And if you've ever worked in agriculture, especially without the aid of a John Deere tractor, how many of you know it can be very, very challenging and laborious for you to actually plant a crop? Right, I'm talking about by the sweat of the brow, right, by the aid of hopefully a large family that you had to prepare the soil, you had to sow the seed, and then like our time right now, you had to pray for rain, right, and you needed the first rain, of, uh, the, and, the, and the former rain is what it's called in Scripture, and then you need the latter rain. You need the former rain to prepare the soil to receive the seed, but if you didn't get the latter rain, you wouldn't get the fullness of the harvest. So it's very critical, and anytime you're in agriculture, you know that everything is just hanging by a delicate thread. And, and right after, think about this, after many days of waiting and trusting and seeing your harvest come to fullness, right just days before harvest, the Philistines show up. The enemy shows up, gathered together in a troop, which means that this was an orchestrated uh, attempt at, that they would take the land away from, this, uh, from the Israelites. And it says here that at, that at this particular time that the men, if we put these texts together, the men had gone elsewhere. The men had gone out. Maybe they were following Saul to battle. I don't know. The men had gone, and as a result of the men being gone, it left nothing but a few handful or a handful of farmers and perhaps their wives and children. And that's where it says there in verse 13, and the people then fled from the Philistines. And so it was a dire situation. But two men... Two men. How many of you know sometimes a lot can happen when just a couple people get themselves in agreement? Right? I mean, that, that a lot of things can be preserved. And, and, and David is actually the one pinning 2 Chronicles chapter number 23. I don't know if he's pinning this part in 1 Chronicles. And when he tells the story, his emphasis is more on Eliezer. But there was something inside of these two men that knew that despite the fact that the armies of Israel had gone elsewhere... Or the, or the people that were banded together with them that were in the military had gone. Perhaps they were fighting another battle. And that the people, those that were left, had fled because the armies of the Philistines seemed too great. I don't know the size of that army. It, it could create fear in anybody. But David and Eleazar had something rise up inside of them, a bold confidence in God that they believed that, that if they got back to back in the middle of that field, that with the anointing of God upon their life, that they were in the majority. Let me go a little bit farther with that. That if God's on your side, you're in the majority. Right? And so there was a, there was a confident trust that, that somehow, some way, and the Bible tells us in, I believe it was in 2 Samuel, that this battle was so great that when Eliezer actually got in the field and he got in that battle zone, and I know that people don't like to always talk about battle zones and, and infantry type things, but the Word of God is filled with it, so you've got to identify with it. I don't care if you're the most passive person here, if you're, it doesn't matter. I'm telling you, you've got to say, I've got to identify because there's some seasons in your life when you cannot be passive. 
There are some moments in your life when you got to say, there is a warrior locked inside of me. And David and Eliezer said, today is the day. Enough is enough. Others may have fled, but we have worked too hard. We have trusted the Lord. We've been waiting on rain, and we're on the edge of harvest. And there is no way under God's heaven that we're going to allow the Philistines to come in and take away from that which God has promised us. And these two brothers went back to back in the midst of that parcel of land. And the Scripture says that Eliezer fought so hard by the power of God upon him that when the battle was over they had to literally come and finger by finger pry his hand off the sword as God wrought a great victory it's a powerful text of scripture and then and then it's followed on in 2nd Samuel not mentioned in 1st Chronicles about a, a similar situation but this time not with two individuals this brother's name is Shammah and I love the account of Shammah because Shammah is the son of Agi, but he's actually, noticed this, it, said, it says in that text there in 2 Samuel that he is the son of, of Agi, the Herorite. Now, what I like about this is, is the word Herorite means the mountaineer. And so, he, so let me just, I know he's fighting along the valley, but he doesn't live in the valley. He's not from the valley, he's from the mountains. So he's a hill country brother. And I just want you to know, you just don't want to mess with the hill country folk. I, I just want you to, I'm going I'm to get a little bit political here for just a moment. I'm going to try to mask some of it and fool you along the way today. But I, I had a text this past week uh, from my uh, son-in-law, and he was sharing something with me, and I'm going to try my best, except for somebody's had my phone and taken a lot of pictures here. Uh, that it was this right here, and it was about the decision of Roe. And so the decision of Roe being sent back to the states. And so somebody here, a deeply seated liberal person, had posted this. The radical Christians are found in the rural areas, is what they said. Said their towns are defenseless. They have almost no cops, and their firemen are volunteers. They have to borrow cops and firemen from neighboring jurisdictions miles away in order to handle anything big. And they think they're safe out there. He, this brother says, forget burning cities. Cities are on our side. It's time for rural areas to feel the heat. He said, you show up 100 deep in every rural town in a 50-mile radius intent on revolution, you'll crash their system and make them pay. And if you all think I'm kidding, I'm dead serious. He said, this was caused by backwards bleep rural conservatives operating out of a Christianized worldview. Even if they're not Christian, they're heavily influenced by it. Now, they were the ones who voted for Trump in 16, their disillusioned, redneck, white trash, blue collar, uh, who flipped massively for the GOP. Punish them, punish their towns. They say BLM burned the cities to the ground. I say, let them see what, firsthand what it is when a community is truly burned to the ground. They won a civil war. They should have been careful of what they asked and voted for. So my first response was, is that brother hadn't been up in the towns that I'm familiar with. That's my first thought. And so I used, I, we're in the hill country here in, in, in Hebrew, but we're kind of the gateway to the hill country. So I pastored up in Shirley, and I had some close friends and family from the Fox and family by faith, and several of them are here today. And I want you to know the worst thing that that group of folks coming out of those large metropolitan communities could do is to send 100 of their people down to Fox and start acting a fool. Because I'm telling you, you don't want to mess 
with the hill country folk. Because grandma may be sitting on her front porch, and she may have worked in the garden that morning, but she's got a 22 caliber laying right beside her, and she doesn't need, she ain't worried about no AR-223 because that, that ammunition is too expensive because she can shoot the wings off a wasp at 100 yards. And she ain't worried about a 223. And so I, I say, I pray that they don't show up, but it ain't because of the hill country folk. It's because of what could happen to them. That's the type of brother that Shammah was. Shammah said, you know what? This is my parcel of land. And I know in his heart he wished that David could have been there with him and Eliezer. But sometimes you don't even have a prayer partner. Sometimes the enemy comes in and you can't get a hold of the pastor. He's out on the lake fishing. You can't get a hold of Jace. He's working at the cell barn. And sometimes you just got to get a hold of God on your own and stand your ground and fight for what belongs to you. And Shammah was just that type of brother, and he stood right in the middle of that ground, and the Bible says that by him God wrought a great victory. That's exciting, isn't it? I tell you, that gets you stirred up, uh, even if you don't like preaching like this. Because but here's, the, here's the key. It's more than about barley and lentils. It's more, it's more than just about barley and lentils. Those men, there was something. What would move Eliezer and David and Shammah? And I, I bounce around on getting this name accurate, but y'all give me a little bit of grace. These are not easy names to always pronounce up here. But I, 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 as I began to study this, there was something in my heart that I said, you know what? There's something deeper here. I'm, some, I'm seeing some. It was more than just a field of barley. It was more than just the lentils that these men were, that said, I can't go, I can't back up, I can't give in. The Philistines live along the coast, but this is not their land. So as I studied, I found the answer, and I want to show you this if I can. In that text, once again, in 1 Chronicles chapter number 13, it's, or excuse me, chapter number 11, verse number 13, there is a, uh, 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 it tells you that where they were at, they were at pass. Damamin, if I pronounce that connection, Damamin, Pas Damamin. So let me try to explain that to you. Those are two words in the Hebrew that have been put together. The first is Pas, and it means color, simply color. It's translated. It's the same word that is used when it says that Jacob gave his son, Joseph, a coat of many colors of Pas. It means Pas or colors. Damamin means actually blood. So in essence, it means the color of blood. So what it's saying here is, is the valley, that valley of Ella, the soil was so rich, and when it was turned over, it had the appearance of the color of blood. And so that's what the reference is, is that where they were at Damamim, past Damamim, is that, that that area was so fertile, the agriculture was so fertile that it had the color of blood. So, okay, so that's one incident. There's another that I want to show you something that, though, the mystery's not tied to, it's not unlocked. That helps us. It's a part of the journey. That's the only time in Scripture that that word is found, past the mamim. But there's another where Ephes, the mamim, is mentioned. And I know this is hard for me to pronounce. I'm doing my best. And so, because scholars tell us it's either close to the same place or it's possible that it can be the same place. And I ask permission to use this because sometimes you're at the same place, but it means something or it's referred to something uh, for different people. So let me, I, I asked permission from one of our Fox folks this morning, Brother Jerry, as he came in. Because when I was up in the hill country, one time I was, uh, I was up there at Fox, and when I was talking to the Fox folk, they said, you know what, well, you got to go down Timbo Mountain. And so because Timbo Valley's down there, and then if you go back right, you'll go back to 
uh, to Mountain View. But later I was talking to uh, somebody that was from Timbo, and they said, well, you got to go up Fox Mountain. And I was confused. I thought there were two different mountains. But it just depends upon whether you lived in Fox or whether you lived in Timbo. If you lived in Timbo, it was Fox Mountain. If you lived in Fox, it was Timbo Mountain. So it's, it's, I'm saying that to say past the Mamim and Ephes Demim is mentioned in Scripture. It could be the same location. And so this particular passage is in 1 Samuel 17. And we're going to read three verses. So stay with me. I hope I am not confusing you. But I'm talking about a place that's somewhere along the valley of Elah. This, this valley that's going east to west in the land of Israel. That the soil is very fertile. And there's a travel route along the way. That the Philistines want control of it. And the people of Israel want control of it. And so once again, this is the famous battle where Goliath makes his presence known. We're not going to read it, but we're going to only read three verses because we're looking at this word Ephes Demim. Now the Philistines had gathered together their armies to battle. They were gathered together at Sukkot which belonged to Judah and pitched between Sukkot and Ezekah in Ephes, that's how you pronounce that, Ephes Demim. And so read it down, next two verses. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by, here it is, the valley of Elah. And they set the battle in array against the Philistines. Verse number 3, and the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other, and there was this valley, the valley of Elah, that was between them. Now, this passage of Scripture, there is a mystery that is unlocked in the first verse that gives us a little indicator of the courage, what prompted the courage in the hearts of these men that when others fled, that they got down against overwhelming odds, totally outnumbered, perhaps not even heavily armored, but they had a bold, brash faith and a confidence in God that if God... God was for them. It didn't matter who was coming against them. And it's hidden in this first verse of chapter 17. And so if we can put that back there. As I was reading that and meditating on it, I saw it here. I said, here's the, here's the answer. Here's the quickening. Here's the revelation that's going to help some of you here today. Because that's the, my whole intent is to help you. Because I think some people are retreating when you need to be standing. There's something in my heart that arrived at this house today to challenge people to say there's a time, obviously, for all things, but there's a moment when sometimes you simply have to draw the line and say, I'm not moving any farther. Sometimes you have to bury the flag deep down in the soil that's right under your feet and says, you know what, I'm not moving another step. I'm going to trust God because the battle is on. So let's go into this. You say, Pastor, what are those words that unlocks the mystery that understands what gave David and Eliezer and Shammah the courage to fight against the Philistines against overwhelming odds? It was these three words here, which says, which are four words, which belongeth to Judah. Right there. Which belongeth to Judah. What does that mean? Which belongeth to Judah. Where's that coming from? What's, what the key to understanding this is that there was a recognition that it was more than about barley and more than about lentils, but their faith was driven by a belief that this valley that they were standing in, this parcel of land that had been planted, this plat of land that had been planted, the hills on the north side, the hills on the southern side had belonged to Judah. It had been given by a divine oracle from God. It didn't belong to the Philistines. It had been given to the people of ancient Israel. And not only had it been given to the people of ancient Israel, it had been given specifically to the tribe of Judah. And that gave them an emboldened faith that if God said it was yours, then it's yours. 
And so uh, for just the sake of time, I'm going to take you real quickly to Joshua chapter number 15. And we're going to read three verses. This is when, during the days of the conquest of the land of Canaan, that Joshua is allotting the land to the tribes. If you take the time to read the several chapters where this takes place, each tribe there are boundaries that are mentioned. It might be a hill. It might be a river. It might be a brook. It might be a lake. It might be the coastline where these boundaries are given. This belongs to Gad. This belongs to Simeon. This belongs to another uh, Manasseh. But in this passage, this is the inheritance of the tribe. This is it. He begins to give them boundaries here. And so that's in the 20th verse. This is Joshua who represents Moses, who represents God of the children of Judah according to their families. We drop down to the 33rd verse. And in the valley, what's that valley? The valley of Ella, correct? And so these are some of the cities along the valley. So let's go to the 35th verse, and then it mentions Sukkot. Right there it is, and Ezekah. And if you go back and check that in the text, that was right there where these battles are taking place. And so I have to believe that in that time that those men were so agitated in their spirit because it was more than just a singular harvest. It was more than just a good bushel of lentils or a good bushel of barley. No, it was something much deeper. That the God that had created man in the genesis of time and had placed him in the garden, had taken the children of Israel and gave them this particular land. And during the allotment of the land, God had said through Joshua that this particular area right here that goes all the way to the Mediterranean, all the way to the mountainous area coming north and south, this belongs to Judah. And with that word deep in their spirit, I believe those men stepped out in the middle of that field, in the middle of overwhelming odds, and they knew that if God said it, that he meant it, and they, if he said he would fight for them, if they would raise their sword and fight, then the God of all grace would fight on their behalf. Glory to God. And so I thank God for that word. There's a word in, our, in my spirit today to just encourage that some folks need to just simply roll your sleeves up. Now's the time to fight. I'll tell you because there's a lot going on. Their faith was simple. They had a divine, a divine right to dwell there. Do you know that today? Do you know what's yours? To sow their seed there, to harvest, to harvest barley and lentils by divine right. Angie will try to follow with me. Genesis chapter number 12. God had spoken to a man named Abram. And he said, unto thy seed will I give the land. God spoke again unto Abram in Genesis 15 and 18. He said, from the river of Egypt, which is the Nile, all the way to the river Euphrates, including the land of Canaan, God said, I'll give it to you and your descendants. It's your land. And God said to Joshua, in Joshua chapter 1, right after Moses has died, pass into eternity without going into the land, Joshua's getting ready to lead the children of Israel. The Canaanites, seven tribes, seven nations stronger than Israel dwell there. But God charges Joshua in Joshua 1 and 6 with these words. Be strong and of good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto the fathers to give them. God said, I promise it to their fathers. And if I promise it, the promise was made to the patriarchs. It was affirmed by the Mosaic law, and it was once again given to Joshua and the people who would possess the land. I want to say this. I know it may be offensive to some. No matter who previously possessed the land, it matters not to God. God said that he would give them the land. 
Psalm 135 and verse number 12, the psalmist is writing, and God gave their land. God gave their land for an heritage, a heritage unto the people of Israel. It didn't matter that the Canaanites, it didn't matter that the, all the other ites dwelt in the land previously. It mattered not. They dwelt there, but it was not their land. Let me tell you whose land it is. Let me tell you whose land it is. It's God's land. In Genesis chapter number 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the world and all things therein. And in Psalm 24 and verse number 1, the sweet psalmist of Israel, David, pens these words. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and the world and they that dwell therein. And so the barley field and the lentil field was Judah's by inheritance. They had a divine right to the land, to possess it. It was their possession. They had the divine right to sow. They had the divine right to harvest. They had the divine right to build houses. They had the divine right to build a synagogue and worship God if they chose. They had a divine right for their families generationally to live there. You say, Pastor, but didn't the Jebusites previously live there? Yes. And the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites. That's right, but it wasn't their land. It was God's land. And God said, these are the people that I want to live there. I'm going to give this land to the people of the land of Israel or to the nation of Israel and this land belongs belong to Judah. I want to ask you today, I want to ask you this right here. When you know, let me ask you, and if you know, if you don't, I hope you do, do you know that you have authority from God? When you know that you have authority from God, a divine right to possession, you suddenly become emboldened to defend what belongs to you. I'm going to say that one more time because y'all aren't right there with me. When you know that you have authority from God and you have a divine right to possession, you will suddenly be emboldened to not retreat. Not give in. You shut out all the noise around you telling you this or telling you that or it's not yours or it's not your right or you've stolen it. No, all that. You shut it all out because you are emboldened because you have a word from God that's empowered you with an authority from God and you stand on the word of God emboldened. And if you're walking in faith and you have to walk in faith hmm, and you have to walk in obedience to God you have to be obedient to his word, then it's my belief that God will fight for you. God will fight. God said he'll send the hornet. Sister Sharon and I have been cleaning up over what we call Mr. Bundy's the last couple of afternoons. And Lord Jesus, we've had red wasps the side of bluebirds flying around us. And it's just reminding me, though, with Israel, when God told Israel, he said, when I get, you get ready to take the land, God said, I'll send the hornet in front of you. I preached another sermon years ago about a mystery there of how these smaller armies sometimes could defeat these large armies, and those large armies would turn their swords on each other and flee before Israel. I'll tell you why. It's because out of every nook and cranny of every hillside, God would cause the hornet and the wasp and the yellow jacket to come in, and they could find the little access points on the armor that the sword couldn't find. And that's why they would strip off all their armor and take their swords and turn on each other because those swarms of wasps would be upon them. And in the darkness and the madness, they would slay each other and flee before us. Let me tell you, God has authored for you a way to victory if you'll put your faith in him. If you'll trust the Lord, David, Eliezer, and Shammah all stood their ground, defended their inheritance, and fought against the Philistines. And the Bible plainly says that the Lord wrought a great harvest, or a great victory. It was more than barley, and it was more than lentils. It was their divine heritage. It was theirs. It belonged to them. I want to say four things to drop in your spirit real quickly about this personally for you. you got to know what's your possession. 
you got to know what's rightfully yours. The Bible gives us promise, and we got to stand on those promises. I remember a message I preached years ago here in this assembly. I preached it two times, I believe, or maybe just one time. I preached about the Lion King. And the old Lion King that came out, uh, I don't know, 20 years ago when, uh, when Mufasa is sitting up on the mountain and his, uh, his young son that will one day take over the throne from him. And, he, and, and Simba asks Mufasa and says, Dad, where is our, our kingdom? Where's the realm of our kingdom? And Mufasa says, wherever the light touches, that's your kingdom. And I, that's where we're at today. You've got to know, where does the light touch? What's my kingdom? What belongs to me? What's God promised to me out of his word? Because when you have a revelation from God that this belongs to you, then you're willing to stand up and fight for it by faith in Jesus' name. Number two, you have to walk in obedience to God. You cannot walk in authority if you're not walking in obedience to the Word of God. Let me say it one more time because not everybody's catching it. You can't be walking in sin and walking in faith at the same time. You've got to be walking in obedience to the revealed will of God for your life, and then God will fight for you. You have to fight the good fight of faith. The Philistines did not simply leave. They were defeated by the sword of Eliezer, David, and Shammah. You must by faith and the means of faith in the Spirit of God, by the sword of the Spirit, you must fight against your adversary. I'm telling you, you can do more fighting in the Spirit than you will ever do fighting in the natural. In the natural, there will come a day when that army will be greater than you and stronger than you, and you will not have the power. But if you fight in the Spirit, I'm telling you, there's nothing that can be held back from you by the power of God if you fight in the Spirit. Well, you and I, we know this. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers against the the forces of darkness that are held in in high places. But you and I are exhorted by the Apostle Paul. Jace mentioned it already in Ephesians chapter number 6. Paul said, just stand. He said, gird your loins up with truth, put on a helmet of salvation, lift up a shield of faith, and draw the sword of the Spirit in the name of the Lord, and stand. And you can pull down demonic powers, uh, strongholds that have been waging war against you, your family, and your household. But you've got to believe it's your right, it's your authority, it's your dominion, it is your battle, and if you fight, God fights. Right? If you'll trust the Lord. You got to put your faith, number four, you got to trust God. You got to speak the word of faith. You openly declare. You speak victory. Don't speak unbelief. Don't give in, but trust God. Believe God that if God's for you, then it doesn't matter who comes against you. And you say, Pastor Brown, so they'll take me just a little bit deeper. As a new covenant believer, then where does my authority come from? Those men stood on that mountain or stood in that valley and they fought because they believed that the oracle that and the word of oath that was given to Abraham and echoed in the Mosaic law empowered them. Say, Pastor Brown, where does my authority come from? Jesus said these words, all power in heaven and of earth is given unto me. That word power there is not dunamis. In the Greek, which means explosive power, physical power. But it is exousia, which means authority. All authority, and we can even add power, is given unto him both in heaven and of earth. He said, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Our power, our authority comes from the Lord. We stand complete in him. Did you know that he spoiled principalities and powers? 
He triumphed over them and he made his show of them openly. Let me take you deeper into this. Did you know in the Genesis when God created man from the dust of the ground and breathed to his nostrils the breath of life and made him a living soul, God gave him dominion over the earth. God gave him authority and dominion. He said, take this to have dominion over it and subdue it. But we know that Satan gained some measure of, of, of authority away from Adam when Adam sinned, willfully transgressed in the garden. Let me say this to you today. Sin will separate you from God's favor, from God's blessing, and God's authority. Israel was given authority not over the world, but over that little sliver of land. God gave Israel authority. But when Jesus came into the world, he was the first man that had been born like that first Adam. He was born without a sin nature. He was not separated from God because of sin. He was in communion with God from the very beginning. And so he walked in the authority that had been originally conferred upon Adam. And he exercised that authority. He cast down principalities. He pulled down demonic strongholds. Uh, he cast out devils. He healed the sick. Even water, the laws of nature, had to succumb to his authority and dominion. He could walk across water the way you walked into this church on asphalt and concrete because he exercised dominion over the elements of this world. And I want you to know today that the in, his enemies in the flesh did not take his life. They couldn't take his life. He was in dominion. He was in authority. Pontius Pilate, when Jesus stood trial before Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate looked at him and said, you know what, do you not know that I have the power to both crucify you or to set you free? Jesus said, you don't have any power against me. Any power that you get comes from God. I want you to know Jesus had the power at that moment. He could have called unto the Father and 72,000 angels would have rushed out of heaven to his aid. And I want you to know today that, that, that they didn't take his life. He laid it down because he was in authority. And then he picked it up again in the resurrection and he's ascended to the right hand of the Father and he's conferred authority unto us. I read in the Word of God, it says in Luke 9 and 1, He gave them power over all devils. You say, Pastor, you don't know what's been following my family. We've got curses on our family. We've got mental health issues, and we've got addiction. I tell you, you've got them until somebody rises in the power of the name of Jesus and says, I have a divine authority and right to break off the strongholds of the enemy and give it no place, not another day. It may have been in mama, it may have been in grandma, but it ain't going to be any father because I'm in authority by the power of God. I believe that with all of my heart. The Son of Man is a man taking a far journey, Jesus said. He left his house, but he gave authority to his servants. He gave us authority and power. Isaiah said that no weapon will, that's formed against you is going to prosper. And listen, and every tongue that's formed against you, that rises against you in judgment, he said he's going to condemn it. He said, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is of me. We don't stand in our own authority. We stand in his authority. Right? We stand complete in him. His victory is my victory. And his victory is your victory. And in my spirit, I felt like as I came to this house today to charge some of you, you've been retreating too long. It's time to be bold in faith in the name of Jesus, to conform your life to the will of God, to walk in obedience to the will and the revealed will of God. And when you do, God will fight with you. He'll come alongside. You'll be like Eliezer saying, I wish I had a partner. God will say, I'll partner with you, right, if you're walking in obedience to God.
And say, Pastor Brown, what are some things as I get ready to close? Y'all know that's my subtle way of tricking you to give me at least 30 more minutes. No. What are some of the things that you need to defend today that I believe as I close this message out today because it's more than about barley and lentils? I believe, number one, your family. I believe with all my heart, and I'm talking about, I'm not just talking about demons and devils. I'm talking about the culture that is demonized. I'm talking to moms and dads, especially parents that have children today. You better be aware of what's going on with your family and your children. You better monitor what's coming in. You better monitor what's being watched and listened to because the culture wants to take your children, right? Even I'll say this, you can be angry at me, but LGBTQI plus ideology wants to indoctrinate your children, and they will use any tool necessary, public education or Disney. They do not care. The woke ideology wants to take your family, but I want you to know today you've got authority in Christ to be able to discern what's right and wrong in the name of Jesus. And it doesn't matter what people say about you. Listen, they could have been calling down false accusations against David and Eliezer. You don't have a right to be there. That land belongs to the Canaanites. But David and Eliezer said this, long, this land belongs to Judah because God gave it to us. You've got to know what, but your family is a gift from God. Come on, moms and dads, I'm challenging you today in Jesus' name. It was my greatest joy as a father. It was my greatest joy to fight battles on behalf of my children that they didn't know I was fighting. They didn't know that when they were going through crises and challenges and temptations that somebody was locked in prayer in the name of Jesus. That somebody knew not to sit back passively. Somebody knew that I had a sword, the sword of the Spirit. I could pull down demons and devils and strongholds and tell demons and devils, you can't have my family. And now the greatest joy in my life is to watch them do what I did and see them rise up and become a next generation. And as a spiritual father in this house, I want to challenge every man and woman that's got children in their home. You rise up and you guard your family under the anointing of God. It's more than about barley and lentils. It's about a divine heritage that you put to bed every night. That's the greatest blessing that God's given you. And don't you sit back idly and allow the devil to come in and steal, kill, and destroy in your own home. Number two today, your faith. Our faith is under assault in America. I preached several weeks ago against the will of some, but a perverted gospel is being preached. We live in a generation where the modernist revisionists deconstruct the faith of many. They want to deconstruct our evangelical Christian faith and then define for us what we can believe. They want to tell us about this God or that God and say, but that's not the God that we worship. Listen, I'm not going to allow revisionists to tell me what I can or cannot believe. My faith is based upon the revealed Word of God and the revealed knowledge of God that is easily recognizable in the Word of God. You say, what is that faith today? I'm going to give you it in a brief nutshell. I believe man was created in the likeness and the image of God, perfect and upright. But in a garden called Eden, he sinned against God and was separated from God. He died spiritually that day, though he would live 906 or 908 years in the natural. But he died spiritual. God formed a covenant with a man named Abraham so that God could have a people in the earth. God then reiterated that covenant on, on, on Mount Sinai. But through the Mosaic law, there were limitations until the fullness of time was come and God sent forth His Son, a man called Jesus, born of a woman, to be the propitiation for His atoning blood to provide for us a remedy so that we could have access to God. For all the blood of bullocks
goats and goats was not sufficient to take away sin. But the moment that they drew the very first blood out of Jesus' body, I want you to know the veil was being torn so that God could have access to people and people could have access to God. His blood was an atoning sacrifice. He died, was buried, and in three days he went down into the lower parts of hell. But on the third day he got up triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. Forty days later he ascended into heaven where he stands right now today interceding for you and I and there will come a day I don't know when I don't know how long but there's going to come a day he's going to return and he's going to be he's going to be crowned as the triumphant king the king of glory that's the gospel that we preach in a nutshell and I'm not letting anybody take it out of my heart and define for me what I can and cannot believe and neither should you number three your freedom your freedoms. Thank God for the nation we call America. A lot of people don't like to celebrate it. It's never been perfect, and it will never be perfect as long as you got ungodly people and sometimes carnal Christians. There's always going to be issues. We're always going to deal with some things. But let me clarify something for you today. I thank God for the Constitutional Republic. That is the United States of America. Not the democracy that we get told that we are. No, we are a constitutional republic. The reason why Roe was successfully defeated is because the Supreme Court, for the first time in 50 years, said we're going to heed the Constitution. And they sent it back to the states. So thank God for your freedoms. And so you and I have to know what are our rights, and be willing to stand up for them in Jesus' name. And lastly today, as Daryl joins me on the platform, your future. you got to believe God for your future. I'm talking about your faith and your future. We live in a generation in America where pronouns are now in question. Gender uncertainty, open borders, corrupt public education which is the breeding ground for this ideology. There will not be a prosperous future if we continue to sell ourselves out to carnal living, wokeism, or socialism. We need to be repentant as individuals and as a nation. I preached that a week ago, and I have not changed. We have to do our part. I want you to know your life matters to God. You're a part of the whole, but you're also individually and you're collectively. When I read that passage of Scripture, and I'm closing with these words here. I'm on the very last page of my notes, so that should give some of you peace and ease. But you're here by choice. You chose to be here. When I read that, it was more than about barley and lentils. When David, Eliezer, and then Shammah all by himself saw a troop, an organized, a organized, a, 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 an organized movement of the Philistines coming up down the, excuse me, coming down the valley, arriving at that parcel of land where the harvest was just about ready to be, you know, harvest, where, the, where the, the barleys and then the lentils were just about ready. The sift was just about ready to be laid to it. And they just said, you know what, mm-mm. And they looked around, the men were gone off, nobody was left, the people were fled. But those three men on two separate occasions stepped down in that, in that plat of land. 
and said, you know what, I ain't backing up another day because this doesn't belong to them. We have this land by divine right, is what they said in their heart. They knew and they believed, and God honored his word. So in the words of a sermon that I preached long ago, sometimes you have to lift your voice up and say, hey, devil, this is my pea patch, and you can't have it. Come on, somebody. This is my pea patch, and devil, you can't have it. And I know that I threw out a little bit of my political-type preaching that I do along the way, and I don't apologize for it. And so let me say this to you today, but I also understand that if you, listen, if you're in a very personal battle that you're just dealing with, you're not really that as much concerned about what's going on on a national level because you can't see beyond the immediate thing that you're dealing with right now. I understand that today. And I want you to know in the name of Jesus, I want you to know that it's more than about barley and lentils at times, but sometimes it is about the barley and the lentils. Sometimes it's just about that immediate moment. And the reality is that sometimes you have to be shama. You have to fight when nobody fights with you. You believe that today? You have to be that prayer warrior. Fight your battle in prayer, church family. I know that some people picket. I know that some people march for what they believe. That's fine. You can do that. I want to fight my battles in prayer. That's where I believe. Now, maybe you need to picket, and maybe you need to march, and maybe you need to protest. I, I don't know. I believe you need to storm the gates of heaven by faith and stand strong in faith in the name of Jesus. I believe that's what we need to do. And whether that be on a public thing with public issues or whether that's very personal to you and your family, some things that you're dealing with, the reality is sometimes you have to be shaman. You have to fight. Sometimes you fight all alone. But let me say this today. But today's a good day because you don't have to fight alone today. If, you, if you're willing to be Eliezer, I'll be David. Come on, somebody. If you say, well, Pastor, I wanna, if we're going to play role-playing here, you say, well, I want to be David. Well, that's fine. I'll be Eliezer. I'll let them have to come pry. I remember years ago they said, John Hagee, when are you going to start preaching the gospel? He said, when they pry this Bible out of my dead fingers. Come on, somebody. This is the sword that we cling to. This is the sword that we hold on to. This is the revealed will and the word of God. And I, I believe, church family, I know that sometimes I throw in a little bit of these national things and these cultural issues, and, and, and that's all here. But I also know that sometimes you're just locked in a personal struggle. You're just locked in a personal struggle, and you just, you're not worried about own national devil. You're just trying to get deliverance in your family, right? And, and so with that, I want you to know I'm here to pray with you. There's other pastors here that will help me. We'll join our faith with your faith to help you today. But you've got to do your part. You've got to walk in obedience to God, and you've got to be willing to fight and fight the good fight of faith. Come on, somebody. Life's going to be, it's going to continue on in a cycle unless you break the cycle. If they had given the Philistine, given in, if the Philistines had got that little land of, par of barley, it was just a little plot of land. It wasn't the whole valley. But if they got it, they wouldn't stop. And that's what you've got to know. That's how the enemy works for your family. And so that's why you've got to say, there comes a moment and you've got to say, you know what? I'm willing to stake it all right here. I'm willing to stake it all right here and say, this is it. We're going to fight the good fight of faith over this. Our heads are bowed, our eyes closed. 
today. I know it's Independence Day weekend and a lot of things going on. My heart is full of faith today to join with you today to pray with you and your family for those of you that's here and say, Pastor Brown, man, I need somebody to stand with me. I just need somebody to stand with me. It's going to take courage. I'm going to give an altar call here today. This altar call will include for you an opportunity to come forward and say, I just need somebody to pray with me. I, need some, I love our church family because I'm telling you, it's not just us pastors. Uh-uh, no way is it just us pastors. Man, there are some women in this church. Listen, I know that there was no record of a female Eliezer or David or anything, but I'm telling you, there are some women in this church that know how to get a hold of God, and they have that same sword of the Spirit in their mouth and in their hands, and they are full of faith, and they will yoke together with you, uh, ladies, and other men folk with men. Now, oftentimes, we try to do that, not always, but most of the time, it's kind of that way at our altar. But I'm just telling you, there are people that will yoke. To, it's more important than barbecue. It's more important than us rushing. If, if there are people that are in a battle, to, at, at, they're at their wit's end, and they need the help of God, then today, we want to help them by faith in Jesus' name. I do. Anyhow, I, I do. If you're here today, if you're here today, and you say, Pastor Brown, I'm going to be honest. I just need somebody to stand in faith with me. You know, I'm going to call you forward in a moment. It's going to take courage. Say, Pastor, I get tired, fatigued. Can I, I can't stand that long. We'll pull your chair up. We'll pull a chair right here because we'll anoint you with oil. We'll put our hands on you on your shoulder, maybe even on your head. We won't do, touch you in any way that will make you feel uncomfortable. But we're going to thereby pray the prayer of faith. We're going to join our faith in agreement with yours. And we're going to pray in Jesus' name for victory. That you're going to walk in authority. You're going to walk in dominion. And God's going to give you the victory. You believe that today? I believe that. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, that's me. I don't know. It may be, it may be 15 people or it might be one. I don't know. But if there's anyone here today that says, Pastor, I need somebody to join with me in prayer then I want you to slip your hand up because I'm going to ask you to come forward here in just a moment. If that's you, let me see your hand. Anyone here today that I'm asking? I see some hands. Not a lot today. It's a few that have got cur their courage. It takes courage. It's going to take courage to come off of the mountain and get down in the valley. Right? It's going to take courage. I want you to know, though, church family, there's victory waiting on you if you believe. Victory waiting on you if you believe. If you're here today, we'll give you this invitation as well because I don't know who I'm preaching to each week. I don't know whether it's just the church family or maybe there's somebody that doesn't have an authentic, genuine faith in Christ. And it would be, God forbid, that I would let you out of here without praying with you to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Is there anyone under the sound of my voice, before I pray for these here, the, the few that raise their hand, before I invite them to the front, is there anyone here that says, Pastor Brown, I believe in God, but I don't have the full assurance of faith that if I were to die today, that I would be welcomed in God's eternal kingdom. And that's the most important prayer that I can offer you today is to pray with you that you would have the confidence that you're in genuine faith. Remember I started the message before I even got to it. I talked about, I said, every member of our church is going to heaven. And you know what I meant by that. I said, because they profess that they're born again. If you're not born again, born by the Spirit, then I would love to pray with you today because you can be born again into God's kingdom. If that's you today, Nobody's looking around. We're making this reverent. We're making this, we're not, we're making this between you and God. The only person looking around is Pastor Brown for a moment of time. If that's you, slip your hand up. I'll pray with you today. Is there anyone here today? Anyone that's among us today? I'm going to ask our entire church family to stand up for a moment. And those of you that raised your hand, 
Those of you that raised your hand, I want to ask you. I want you in your heart 